As we get started, we're going to be in Revelation 2, but let me open with a question. How many of you have or know someone who, who picked out a name for their child long before they knew where they were going to have children? Okay, okay. a lot of the ladies in the room are raising their hands. Some of the guys are too. Okay, we did that in our family. Some people do that, all right? Some ladies pick out the names of their husbands long before they've even, but it's a whole other different story. They plan their wedding and the whole deal, and, uh, and they're praying that God would answer that prayer. Um, but that's not where we're going today. We're talking a whole other different text. So Revelation 2 today, uh, when we were preparing for that, when we were thinking about having children and eventually wound up adopting both of ours, we had names picked out for a boy or for a girl, and we got uh, Leah Grace uh, after about eight and a half years of being married uh, through adoption. It's been wonderful, uh, I think, for her. I have to remind her every day it's great to be our kid. And um, <laughs> she reminds us sometimes we're not all that, and that's cool because it's true. Uh, but then a few years later, we got a phone call and said, hey, would you like to grow your family with a son? And we're like, oh, this is cool. And we had, for years, we had this name in mind. It was a great name. It was a perfect name. It was laden with, some, we just liked the way it, it began. And we liked the way you could kind of take part of it off and have a cool nickname for it. And, and uh, some of y'all who know me know that I served for years, in, uh, about 11 years as a children's pastor. And one day, I was at the church where we were serving in town. So I have to be very careful with this illustration because some of you know this person. But there was this one little boy who was acting horribly, so bad. And he had this name that we loved so much that afternoon. And I don't make decrees in our family. I've learned it's not productive. But I walked in and I said, Beth, whatever we do, we will not call our kid that name. I can't deal with it. He was totally distasteful. He was awful. He was, and he's just kind of been building for a while. I was like, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a little bratty, little bratty. And finally one day I was like, I will not look at my son and give him that name because that name is loaded with value. Now today we see a name uh, that's in Revelation chapter 2 called Jezebel. We've already talked about it, and it's a loaded name. And we know this in our culture because we use nicknames all the time for people. You might say about somebody who's really smart, you may say, she's an Einstein when it comes to math, right? Or he's a Hendrix on the guitar. You may say, oh, well, that person, you know, they're just like a Bobby Flay in the kitchen. Or, you know, you've been there. These are all positive ones. There's some negative ones. Every once in a while, my kids will come home and be like, yeah, that teacher's like a Hitler. And uh, so not always good. And then, you know, and then sometimes you get the idea. There's a Ponzi kind of investor, and you don't want to make sure you put your money with them and those kind of things. Well, this lady we're talking about, this woman, she's not even dignified with the title of lady. Uh, she's called That Woman Jezebel, and she's called a prophetess. So she's a prophetess like Jezebel, and we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to be called a prophetess like Jezebel as we kick in. But if we're reading along together, we need to go ahead and start by being in the text, because this is the Word of God after all that we're here to study, to learn together as we worship our Lord. So Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29, if you're on the Bible app under Fellowship Asheville under events, you can track with the text there. Uh, and if you need a Bible, there's one in front of you, and on page 871, you can find the text that you need. And I'll say this in advance, I think Fred has shared this before, if you don't have a copy of the scriptures on paper, we'd love for you to have one, one that you can take and mark and ask questions in and uh, reflect on. So if you don't have one, take that one with you today as a gift, we'd be glad to share that with you. Uh, but as we get going today, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 through 29, and I'll read as we get going through about verse 23. So John is writing on behalf of Jesus, and Jesus says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works. 
your love and your faith and your service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat foods that are sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, and this is strong, behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into a great tribulation unless they repent from her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. I'll keep reading. But the rest of you in Thyatira, who don't hold to this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I don't lay on you any other burden, only hold fast to what you have until I come. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for a chance to study and learn what you have to say, not just to other churches, but even to our church. So Lord, we don't want to waste these words to the church at Thyatira. We want to hear what you would say to us today. So where we can, we're going to talk about what you meant to them. But we also want you to apply this directly to us so that we would grow in grace and we would look more and more like Jesus and we would enjoy our time with him and that we would be able to come to know him in a way like none other. And we pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen. Well, all right. The good news to this text is he opens with some happy thoughts. He begins with some words of affirmations for a church who's doing some good things and is doing more and more and more good things. And as he talks about what he's proud of them about, I like to I like the way he did this. It's a really good way to do your parenting. If you have a hard thing to say, it's always good to lead off with something happy and good, right? In fact, there's a sandwich here today. There's a happy sandwich. It's happy and hard and happy at the end. So as we walk through, you're going to see the two happies, but the middle part's kind of tough. And he says, man, I know your works, your love and your faith and your service and your patient endurance. And those first two, the love and the belief, are things that we can kind of usually keep inside. You know, I can... I can love God, and maybe not everybody will know it. And I can believe in God, and maybe not everybody will know it. But in Thyatira, they had a love and a belief that showed. It was obvious to everybody around, and it showed because he said it showed in the way that you serve, and it shows in the way you endure. Now, some of us, we know what it's like to worship the Lord and uh, years and years ago, and it kind of bothered me, but I understood what he was trying to say. One of the pastors I know said, well, that's an EGR person. Has anybody ever heard of an EGR person? It's kind of offensive, but it's a person who requires extra grace. E- extra grace requires. It's not really nice, but if you know the person, you kind of understand what they're kind of poking at. Well, a person who's walking in love and in belief in this way can encounter somebody who might require extra grace, and they don't feel like they're being put upon. They don't feel like they're an annoyance. They just feel, oh, you just love me. And those of us who are extra grace required people know that sometimes we come on a little strong or we know that we're a little difficult and then somebody just loves you and they just love you and you're like, wow, I've never quite been loved like this. Would you just take me home with you? Would you just be my friend forever? Well, that's what's going on in the text. And they're so good at being good that they actually go from being good to being bad because they go from having extra grace and being enduring to being threatened by God and told not only are you being long-suffering, but you're being overtolerant. And this is a tough thing for them to hear. They don't want to hear it. And he says, this is a serious business. And I want you to understand how serious it is because you've let a Jezebel into your church. And they're like, whoa, hold on. I thought we were being nice, but now we're being told we're being too nice because the wrong people feel like they're welcome in our house of worship. And not only do they feel welcome, they feel like they have a platform to be able to be a prophet or a prophetess. So first he gives them that, that love sandwich on the front, the, 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 the happy word, and then there's the harsh word here that we see where they get a word of warning for a church that has dishonored the Lord 
by, uh, by allowing too much bad teaching, allowing bad teaching at all. Let's pick up at verse 20 again. He says, I have this against you. This is not a, a slight reprimand. This is a strong rebuke. He said, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and I will do a lot of horrible things. And you're thinking, well, that's got to sting. You just got this little happy four verses, and now you get these nine loaded verses of what in the world is going on in our local body, and what does God think? Oh, God's not too happy with that. It would have nice been nice in my book. I was like thinking around Tuesday, you know, it would have been nice to have been called Jezebel and not him actually call my name. When Paul was teaching, it was not uncommon at the end of the verse or at the beginning of a chapter to say, hey, there's this person who's teaching this false doctrine, or they, they left me alone, or they, they retreated on me when they said they were a friend, and they called him by name. That would stink, to have your only time to be listed in Scripture as being the bad guy or the bad girl. So I thought, well, maybe it would be nice. And then you start to look at really who Jezebel is, and you're going, oh, that's not good at all. I think he would rather me use my name and say that I've got a chance to change, then call me this Jezebel. And if you know your Old Testament really well, you may go, oh, well, David, we, we know what a Jezebel is. It's not good. But maybe you need a refresher on who Jezebel is. Well, to do that, we have to go back to the Old Testament, to uh, 1 Kings chapter 9 through 2, excuse me, 1 Kings chapter 16 to 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 9 to see who this Jezebel is. And Jezebel was the daughter of a Phoenician king who married the Israelite king named Ahab. Now, you've heard Ahab probably from the book Moby Dick. This is a different story. There's no connotation there. It doesn't mean anything other than you've heard, oh, I've heard Jezebel, I've heard of Ahab. Forget what you know about Ahab. He's not a good guy. He's picked the wrong woman for either military reasons or political reasons or maybe she was pretty. I don't know, but he picked the wrong wife, and she begins to make trouble. She didn't have a good reputation. Ahab worked on a pretty bad reputation in time. She came from Phoenicia, from an area where there was all kinds of idol worship and where uh, Yahweh was not adorned, he was not loved, he was not served, he was not worshipped. And what she did is she worshipped a god named Baal, or Baal, or you may have heard over the years, Baalzebub. Okay? This is Satan. All right? It's a male deity, uh, has a certain standing, and we know that he's a male deity because he's a god of nature, and he has a girlfriend named Ashtoreth. And Ashtoreth is worshipped by putting these poles up in uh, your garden or a grove of them because you want to be a really strong worshiper. And just to be careful because this is a, this is a delicate crowd, um, she was a fertility goddess. And let me read what an Asherah pole was. Uh, and this is from one of the Bible dictionaries that I turned to. Easton says, an Asherah pole is a tree deprived of its boughs and rudely shaped into images that were rude and planted in the ground. So she's a fertility goddess. And they're taking these trees and stripping them down. You can imagine what they're saying they should worship. This is not pretty. This is happening near the temple, outside the temple, near God's palace, near the place where they were supposed to be worshiping God, and God is not happy at all. In fact, she is such a, a pagan queen that she says, you know what, for years there have been prophets of God who were in this place, and they're not standing for the people that I honor, so what we're going to do is we're going to start killing them. And as they start getting killed... Uh, the prophet Elijah says it's time to challenge this evil woman. So he challenges them all to a shootout at the OK Corral, which is actually called Mount Carmel. So just to give you an idea, we got one prophet of God. He's over here. His name is Elijah, and he's burning hot with rage because he wants to defend the honor of the one true God. 
And then over here, you have 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah. So one to 850. So the prognosticators are saying, we think we know who's going to win. Right? We got reach over here. We got heart over there. So let's see what happens. Well, as the story goes all day long, the, uh, these 850, excuse me, the 850 start, um, they, they build an altar and they ask God to come down and consume these things and to do what only he could do, and he didn't do it. So they prayed louder, and they danced around more, and they cut their flesh, and they did other things. And the whole time, it starts to get laughable to, uh, to Elijah, who's over here, who winds up saying, well, is your God on a trip? He didn't say, is his girlfriend ticked off? Are they working out? On it? But he, he actually accused him at one point, did he go to the restroom? Is, so he's having a little fun with the fact that these guys are worshiping false idols, and it's starting to really show. Okay, Now we know... That, that pagan gods have power because they're led by Satan and Satan likes to demonstrate power. But on this day, God ordained it so they would have absolutely no power to show it. So after all this day had gone, Elijah finally said, enough of that. This is what we're going to do. We're going to build an altar. We're going to have uh, 12 stones, one for every one of the tribes of Israel. And we're going to stack them up and then we're going to put wood on there and then we're going to put an offering on there. And you know what? That's not good enough. So we're going to dig a moat around it and then we're going to pour water on it and that's not good enough. We're going to fill the moat with water and pour some more and some more. We're going to drench this thing so that when our God shows up, y'all are going to have to know that it wasn't just a crazy lightning strike. Okay, amen. So this is what happened. So Elijah, we don't know how long he prayed or how much he prayed, but he said, God, come. Boom, God came, and he licked up everything. The offering was gone. The wood was gone. The stones were burned. Y'all, this is a big deal. This is a miracle of sorts. Stones don't burn, do they? No. You put stones at the bottom so that your house doesn't burn down, right? Or you put concrete in your heart so your house doesn't. Well, the concrete was gone. If that had been your house that day, call Etna, right? It's all over. It's all over over that day and Elijah is so happy because his God showed up and he said you know what this is serious business so you would imagine if you've got one prophet of the one true God 850 here there had to be a crowd watching to see who was going to take the day well there were enough people there that at the end of it Elijah said they got to go this is wrong this is untrue God is uh, his honor has been he's been dishonored we're calling him the wrong thing get away with them and they went away and they killed them all so there was a slaughter that day of false worshipers now this is a big big deal because Jezebel these are her people she loved them she invited them over for dinner on a regular basis they had places that they would stay in the palace with her these were her people they were on a on a name only kind of basis they were one-on-one -on -one. so all of a sudden however Ahab knew some say what he was there and some say word got out or he traveled back so that night Jezebel found out that all and you can imagine nobody came for dinner a lot of food nobody to eat it and she said, in 24 hours, you're going to go the way they did. Big threat. So I'll just say, do you think this was a compliment to the church? That they have a Jezebel kind of prophetess in the body? God forbid that we would have a Jezebel kind of prophet or prophetess here. It's a big deal when you're asked to preach the word of God, that you go to the word of God and you speak to the spirit of God. And this morning on the way in, I just was like, one more time, God, can we honor your name today? I don't want to be a good preacher as much. I just want to show a good God. So that's where we walk through this, and it's a big deal. Now, last week, you got to understand, Fred was talking about what was going on at Pergamum, another church, and at Pergamum, there was sexual immorality, and there was also food sacrifice to idol, and God said, don't do that anymore, it's time to stop. But in that text, it was happening in the trade guilds, where the people who were uh, blacksmiths or whatever, or traders, they would come in, and it was kind of like a, a lodge of sorts. They said, if you worship this way, God will bless your business. 
And you're like, well, yeah, God will bless my business also, but what you're going to do is if I don't worship this way, you're going to keep my clients away. So they were feeling pressure to do these acts that were unthinkable and unspeakable in this room. But this is what's different in our text today. People aren't being tempted in Thyatira to go to the Tregills to do it. They're being told to go to Sister Jezebel's house and worship. Y'all, this is serious business. This is bad news in the body of God. And what Jesus says is, I've had enough of that. He said, this cannot happen anymore. Because what you're doing, and in our day, the theological word, if you want to write it down, it's called syncretism. Syncretism is when you try to take things that don't sync together and sync them together. Syncretism says, you know what, Jesus, I like Jesus and Jesus is good, but Jesus is not enough. So what we're going to do is I'm going to take a, a whip of this and a dash of that and a pinch of the other. And when it's all said and done, it satisfies all of my religious longings and kind of the things that I feel like I ought to feel like. And maybe it makes me feel smarter to think this way, that, oh, those old people in that old Bible, they just weren't very uh, sophisticated, they weren't very... Um, capable of thinking so what we need to do is we need to make sure that the, we're going to tack something onto it he really says really jesus is nice but jesus is not enough you need more and that's called a false gospel a false gospel says at its core jesus alone cannot be enough it's false if it says jesus cannot possibly be enough and I, look if you're a believer and there have been times when you're like man i love jesus but i just i need a raise it would be easier to trust God if I had another 10%. Anybody ever been there? So we can't throw big stones at Jezebel because this is the kind of life that she did. The false gospel, basically, let's just boil it down to a, a, like a, a math equation. It says Jesus plus something will be enough. And that's what she was teaching, something. And for her it happened to be we're going to worship in a way that honors my former religion. And we know what it's like to have come to Christ in our life. And we're like, well, I used to have these things I like to do. And surely Jesus wouldn't want me to not have fun that way. And then we find that Jesus turns the light up and the heat up just a little bit more. And the old filth starts to be, looks dirtier. And it starts to burn away more. And we're like, oh, God, I didn't see it that way before. And as we walk with Jesus, what we do is in his graciousness, he says, hey, you're too big for that. You're too, in me, you're too good for that stuff in there. But what this false gospel says, is, well, you know, no, you don't have to change all that. Just take Jesus and a little bit of this and that. You're going to be all right, brother. You been there? You ever felt that tension? Or maybe just me. Well, the beautiful thing about our God is he gave her chances to change her mind, to change her behavior. Verse 21 says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. To repent, it's a Bible word that just means you're walking one way, and then you choose to walk the other way. My dad used to be in the military, and he actually knows how to do an about face when he does this illustration in his churches when he preaches. But there's this idea that as you're stepping one way, you actually begin to step the next. To repent is just to change your direction, change your focus, change what you're doing. He said, look, I gave her a shot. And she, what? Said she didn't like it. She thought about it. No, it says she refused. So we think, well, is that too strong? Well, no, it's not too strong because over and over in the Bible we see that God is very particular about speakers and preachers and leaders and teachers in his body, be it men or women or even those who lead our children. Anybody who speaks the word of God must be careful with the word because we have the ability in the word because the word is powerful and because there's an anointing on his pulpit. When we say things, people go, oh, I should do that. And she had done the wrong thing with God's people, the right people. A little bit of proof of that, James 3.1. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, 
For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. 2 Timothy 3, the same chapter where we see the Word of God is living and active, uh, says, but understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. And it goes on and on and on. He says, basically, it says they have the appearance of godliness, but they deny its power. And that's what Jezebel was doing. They have an appearance. She dressed up for church on Sunday, but she had different dress clothes for certain nights of worship. This is not the kind of worshiper that the Lord is going to honor. Romans 1, 18 through 23 says the wrath of God, this strong, strong word, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So when we say that the gospel is something plus something else, what we're doing is we're suppressing the truth. The truth is this, Jesus plus nothing is enough. And that's an amen moment. Jesus plus nothing is enough. Let's talk about it because we see it in the scriptures. This is why we teach through the scriptures at Fellowship. We're going to do a topical series from time to time in the calendar year of the church. But really what you see us do a lot is we'll grab an entire book of the Bible and work our way through. Because... It's important enough that we don't cherry pick the easy things to teach. That we say, you know what, this is a hard word, so let's just stand up on the harshness of it, but let's also understand how good God is in the hardness of the truth. We preach through the scriptures because we get challenged as believers. We preach through the scriptures so we keep the gospel pure. And it would be really easy to gloss over these things because it's easier and it makes us more popular and it makes it an easier place to sit and listen. But I'll tell you, when we throw off parts of the gospel, we do a disservice to it, and we cheat our people. What we deserve and what we need as a body is somebody who will stand up and say, thus says the Lord, and this is how we grow from it. Okay? Now, so what's the takeaway? Do I just look at you and say, hey, no more sexual immorality. Don't do it. And hey, and I don't know how many of us are food sacrificed to idols. It's not a thing in our day. But if you're doing it, don't. And we're done. That's it. That's the end of the sermon. No, that's not the sermon. Because what she's doing, the specifics were the sexual immorality and the food sacrifice to idols. But the issue is this idea that they did not believe that the gospel, that Jesus is sufficient, is true. They did not believe that Jesus was complete. They did not believe that Jesus was sufficient. And they were standing in the teaching corridors of the church saying Jesus is not enough. And I want to tell you, Jesus plus nothing is everything. Jesus plus nothing. Jesus is plenty. Let's just say it that way. Jesus is enough. Now, the thing I love about this is I told you there's, there's the happy, there's the hard, and there's the happy again. So not only are they challenged to do something about this woman and what's going on and the way you view the, way you view the gospel, but then they say, this is what I want you to know. He says, here's the compliment in verse 24. And we have a God who compliments his church. At the same time, he's challenging them. He offers a compliment, and I love that picture of Jesus. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast to what you have until I come. The one who conquers. The same God who sent the fire that licked up and took the stones. The one who conquers and who keeps my work, excuse me, the one who conquers is the one who doesn't do these, who keeps my work until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with the earthen pots that are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, I will give to him, the conqueror, the morning star. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Y'all, this is, I, there, there are no words to explain this, but this is what I do as a preacher. I've got to find some words to hang on this to show you. The promise, is that, here's the threat. The threat is that person over there is saying to the person over here, Jesus is not enough. And they're saying, Jesus is enough. And if you've ever been challenged with the idea that Jesus is not enough, you're thinking, I really want Jesus to be enough. Because I feel it here. I kind of know it here, but come on. Show me something. This is the promise. The promise that God, that Jesus and the Father give through John is to say, you're going to see Jesus as the morning star. As bright as you've ever imagined Jesus, crank up the volume. As good as you've ever seen Jesus as, he's even gooder. If you ever thought Jesus was gracious, more graciousness. If you've ever thought Jesus was fulfilling, he's a filler fuller. Jesus is better than better. Which is better than saying Jesus is enough. It's like saying Jesus is overflowing. And you go, David, what does that mean? It means Jesus says, you don't get the good stuff, you get me. You don't get a happy worship service, you get the one you worship. You don't get a happy feeling. You get the one who makes you full. So to the person that withstood it, who was the conqueror, when everybody else is whispering, Jesus is not enough, they're going to be, they're going to, this is what's crazy. One day in their glorified state, they're going to look back and be, if they could just say to that person, oh, if you only knew who Jesus was. I tried to tell you, but my head's blown. Jesus is so, the morning star. Imagine, do y'all ever have this moment, Leah Grace, I said I wasn't going to talk about you, but I'm changing my mind. We have this thing in, in our world, in our family, where Leah Grace is, the best way to find out if a flashlight works is to shine it like right in your face and flip the switch on. She does it every time. It's funny to me. And I'll be like, hey, look at this flashlight. She'll look at her, blink, and swah. It, it shocks you. Anybody have the early riser at your house and sometimes they can't or, or, you've already, or you're, even you're the person that goes to bed early and then the late person like me comes to bed and you're like, where are the earbuds? I want to listen to something on my way to sleep. And then I turn on the flashlight to my phone and I look around the room and that's not quite good enough and I'm like, what is that? And I'll say it to me, hoping that she'll say, I thought it worked. And I'm just like, I'm just going to turn the lamp on. Click. And now it's bright. That bright light, when it's been so dark, is astoundingly bright. Right? The picture of the morning star is that, oh my goodness, the lights are so unbelievable. It's like if you, there was a place when I went to college that I would go into my physics three, physics two, physics four, as a lot of physics, uh, to those classes. And it was always dark in that auditorium, and I would walk out, and they had this brand new sidewalk that was just gleamingly white. And I have super sensitive eyes, and my eyes would just pour. And I'm talking, y'all, Jesus is so astounding, he's going to bring tears to your eyes your doors off how good he is and he says hey hold fast because the the reward you're going to get last week for Pergamum is I'm going to give you a new name and you're going to get this white stone that you're not getting judged anymore and then this week he says oh you want something special you get me today if we're not careful we try to add and we try to build syncretism into our lives and we're just like Jesus plus a little bit more financial satisfaction would be good sometimes we say Jesus plus a little bit more social acceptance could I just have Jesus and a friend please if you've been lonely, I get that. And Jesus says, what you're going to get if you'll depend on me for everything is you're going to get more than you ever wanted. He's a friend that sticks a lot closer than a brother. He says, if you ever want it, and some of us, we want Jesus and we want to have some intellectual respect. I don't have faith because I'm stupid. I have faith because I've tested this and it's better than any intellectual endeavor I've seen anybody put together. Jesus is better. 
Oh, he's powerful. And we do it in church. We do it in our private worship. We do it in our public worship. I'd like to worship Jesus, but I would like the baseline to drive just a little bit more. I wish I had a pastor that was like this or like that, or I podcast this guy and that guy. Why can't mine actually be that blah, 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 blah? Maybe you really wish you'd rather have Fred today. I don't know. Don't want me. Don't want Fred. Want Jesus. Come on. The morning star wants you to want him. So whether it's shining personalities or we want a little bit more money in the bank or we want to live in that neighborhood or drive that car. I found out somewhere today. This week, I was listening to a, um, a podcast. And if we're not careful, we put all these measures on what's good and what's bad. And I kind of can judge. I like, if they drive that car, then they've got this much money in the bank. And I heard a guy totally blew me away in a way that I didn't even know there was wealth like that. You know, sometimes you're like, okay, they have this, and their house is this big, and okay, I don't really relate, but they're going to be my friend, and that's kind of cool, right? That's nice. I was listening to this musician who said, well, every time I get off the, the plane to go to a new place, I don't even travel with my toiletries. I just, when I get off, when I'm at the airport and I'm flying commercial, uh, I go into that little place, and I'll grab all my little travel stuff. I'll grab a razor and some stuff. And he said, did you know they still make, they still make Colgate? How rich you got to be that you don't know they still make Colgate? <laughs> Colgate. And he said, oh, yeah, they've got Prell and some other stuff. And I'm like, okay, you know a world I don't know. But, y'all, I know Jesus. And I am rich beyond measure. Look, when we preach, we need to do our best. We want to be inspiring. We want to be insightful. We want to be intelligent. When we sing in worship, I do it full-throated. Give it your guts when you worship. And if you're artistic, paint like the masters. Whatever it happens to be that you do, live your life in a way that when people see you, they're just blown away by how great your God is. When it's all said and done, what's the tombstone going to say? Looked like Jesus. Boy, that'd be nice. But for what purpose do we do these things? I'm going to read this from my notes, and it'll be on the screen. The mark of lives that are lived honorably is that we excel at knowing Jesus and making better known. The mark of lives honorably lived is that we excel at knowing Jesus and making him better known. So when you look, some of you guys I've known for years, what I want to do is the more I see you, the more I want to see Jesus. That's an honorable life. When I see you and I see more of Jesus, what that's going to do is that's going to drive me. I'm like, man, I wish I know Jesus like that. We want to be those women. We want to be those people that honor. Now, remember that kid I was telling you about who ruined the name? I still know him. I saw his mom this week. I saw his in-laws this week. He made some changes, and he outgrew his immaturity. He's a godly young man. He's going to do some great things. He's, he's old enough. Well, you're going to know him in the area soon. Not in our church. You're just, trust me, you're going to bump into him. He's an amazing young man, but only because he made changes. That woman of the text, that Jezebel woman, imagine. What if she had taken her opportunity to repent? She could have been like Saul that became Paul. She could have been like Cephas, who was renamed Peter from Simon. What if, it had been, what if her real name had been Cynthia? Can you imagine what this text would have been? As the guys are coming up, let me just draw you this picture. There's this picture where 
uh, instead of being told, hey, that Jezebel that's in your midst, wouldn't it have been awesome if Jesus, the, the, the morning star in heaven talking to John, could have said, hey, send this note to Thyatira. Say, hey, your love was amazing. Your compassion was amazing. You were so good with these people. Your faith was incredible. And by the way, that thing that Cynthia did when she walked away from all that stuff, that just blows my mind. I'm so proud of her because she's not taking those people to her bed anymore. She's actually taking them to the foot of the cross. Man, so proud of Thyatira. And God wants to redeem us all that way. He wants to take that thing that we've done. And, you know, it's a thing we did. And it's a, the only beauty in what we've done is that God has loved us so much beyond it that he won't let us stay there. And as we celebrate communion today, communion is all about us growing into the image of God. Back in the day, in the Passover days, this was celebrated as a part of the end of a special meal. And they would say, hey, when you do these things, remember that God brought us out of Egyptian captivity. and We're no longer slaves to the Egyptians. God has protected us and God has carried us and God has lifted us up and God has done all these things. And Jesus said, now when you do this, don't remember Egypt. Remember what I've done to bring you out of slavery. This idea, this, we're bound by the idea that Jesus is not enough. And he said, hey, just look at me and be free. So when we do this and we celebrate communion in just a couple minutes, you're going to come down the aisle and you're going to walk back. And when you're going to take it, this is not the actual body and blood of Jesus. But this is a way to publicly say to each other and look and say, man, Jesus is good. Are you believing how enough Jesus is this week? Remember here he told Thyatira, I love that it's better and better every single day. So this is what's amazing. This week as we celebrate communion, this month, in our March month of communion, we can walk down these aisles and kind of look at each other going, you know what, the way it's supposed to work is we're supposed to be closer to Jesus this month than we were last month. Because he's showing up stronger and better and more amazing. And some of you knew you were worshiping God, but you didn't know that he could take the stones. You didn't know that he wanted to make this change. So as we look at this time of communion, Fred and I were talking, so what, this, is not about, this is not about Jezebel. This is about you and me. John the Baptist said, it's time for me to decrease so that he can increase. So sometimes the problem with our syncretism is we're like a lot of Jesus and a little bit of me, and this is going to be all right. And what I just want to call you to in the name of our good and gracious Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is to lay yourself aside and just say, fill me up, Jesus, so that whatever you've built in me just needs to be flooded with who you are. And as I give off who you are, this world is going to be blessed, and you're going to be honored. The wall that we're breaking through this week is the wall of dishonor. If you feel like you've dishonored yourself and you've got a, a name, a nickname on your life, that guy who did that thing, won't today be for you. If you're that, that woman, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. If you're that woman who always sees herself through the lens of that little girl, today you can be for you. So as we do this time of communion, just invite Jesus to do what Jesus does. Reflect on who you are, who you've been. Repent from where you've been if you've gone the wrong direction. And then we're going to rejoice. After we do this communion, we're going to sing a big song with big words and hopefully big vocals so that we declare among ourselves, man, Jesus is enough. Jesus is spectacular. He's unbelievably more fulfilling than I ever dreamt him to be. So today, what I pray for you, fellowship, and for us, fellowship, is that the morning star would glow in all his radiance in our lives because we have walked believing that Jesus is enough. So I'm going to pray for us, give you a little bit of quiet time to think about where you are, reflect and repent, and rejoice. 
that our God is good. Say these words with me. Say, Jesus is enough. Lord Jesus, we receive you. Your goodness is better than we ever imagined. Oh, God, that there could be words to explain how good you are. That we could do you justice. Probably the only way we could really do you justice is not with our words, but it's with a life that is fully sitting on an altar. So come and consume us today. Take up every bit, the things that even people thought couldn't be removed. Remove them like those stones. Just burn us up with your glory. And today we're going to worship you in this time of communion and then a time of singing. In Jesus' name.